Hello and welcome to the newest episode of the Ski Podcast. I think it's episode 48, which is quite excited. Uh, well, quite excited. The episode is quite excited and I'm quite excited about the exciting episode. Um, sat in his pants on the other end of the internet is Ian Martin. How are you, Ian? Yeah, very good, Jim. Good morning. And how are you? Um, we are sponsored by Switzerland Tourism. Um, did you know, Ian, that the Swiss um, haven't hosted the Winter Olympics since 1948 in Samaritz, where they also hosted it before. But Samaritz is a pretty exciting place. And it's interesting that, you know, um, how the Winter Olympics has moved away from resort-based um, uh, hosting to its big capital cities, whereas, you know, Samaritz you can still go to, and it's a cool ski resort to video. And also, another interesting fact, and I'm surprised by this, the Swiss skiers have less Olympic medals than the summer skim, um, Olympians. Can you believe that? You mean that Switzerland have won more medals in the Summer Olympics than they've won in the Winter Olympics? That's exactly what I meant, yes. No, I can't believe it. It's true. Um, even gold medals, more Olympic summer medals than they do have in the Winter Olympics. Uh, I can't gold. think, anyway. oh, well, OK, so Roger Federer. I bet he's probably won a few uh, medals for them, hasn't he? Roger Federer. Oh, yeah, I suppose tennis. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking Rowan and then I had to come back to it. Right, <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with the show and tell us we're wrong about anything, especially what I just said, um, you can do that by uh, tweeting us at the Ski Podcast, finding us on Facebook. You can also email Jim at the Ski Podcast. Um, and then, you know, there's private ways you can um, tweet Ian at the uh, Skipedia or, you know, find me on Instagram at the Average Skier. Um, coming up in today's show, we will tell you what the snow is like. Ian will tell you what a train is like i will tell you what bansko in bulgaria is like and ian will talk about what korsha bell is like um first of all ian let's talk about snow there's been it's been an interesting time yeah i mean you're out there so you would know although i have been out there since we last recorded but um we've had some pretty kind of like wacky weather really cold big dump of snow 50 centimeters and then the temperatures went like super high right were you yeah. in uh, the French Alps when they went really high and it was raining? Uh, no. Well, yeah, I was. Uh, so I was in Bansko and I saw the big snow dump come in. I was a bit sad, you know, <laughs> not to be at home. Um, it snowed, you know, lots of messages coming in. Oh, are you coming skiing today? No, I'm afraid I'm not. I'm somewhere else. Um, but and then, you know, everyone had one day of um, real joy. And like you say, the temperature heated up. The rain came down um, and it's been pretty miserable. Um, it did snow again two days ago. Um, yeah. And everyone went out again, but it was only about, I don't know, um, five or ten centimetres, maybe a foot really high up, but you had real solid ice right underneath it. So, yeah. interesting, yeah. crazy conditions. Did you see that photo of the murder glass? Uh, sadly, I did see that photo of the murder glass. Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty terrible. And in fact, uh, via Skipedia, I shared uh, this week on uh, Twitter a report from got a feeling it was like Meteo France or something like that but uh, essentially it was saying that uh, Chamonix is so far having its warmest winter on record ever um, with average temperatures five and a half degrees above uh, you know the the long-term average uh, and in addition to that there have been way fewer cold days uh, as well and so unfortunately it's um, another uh, indicator of a long-term trend yeah that's a shame it is yeah it's been very warm i mean the coldest i've been was out in bansko last week it was um, a bit nippy and i had to put an extra layer on whereas i've been probably skiing just a thermal t-shirt and a, a, a shell most of the winter so far which is you know unheard of really in uh, mid-january really but yeah lots yeah, of rain well, rain yeah, rain is uh, not fun to ski in yeah as you remember last year was the um warmest february on record oh it and, was yeah so you know it's not ideal but those circumstances that you're talking about where you get you know rain and then it freezes overnight uh and then you get a bit that's that doesn't sound very nice but fortunately anyone listening to our last episode will know how to ski on ice yeah but um, that was all about seeing it this is really this is hidden like a, a foot down uh, one guy said to me, like, it's been like the beginning of the season. That's how it felt like. Um, but it's kind of felt like it's the end of the season to me in that kind of warm way. You know, as it approaches um, April, you're like, oh, yeah, summer's coming, feeling that that summer vibe. It felt a bit like that um, beginning of January. But, yeah, rain, 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 snow and ice. 
but there's more snow to come so don't worry listener if you're heading out you'll be all right <laughs> good Right, um, let's crack on, Ian. Um, yep. I, I want to take you back, well, take myself back to a few weeks ago when I was doing my Swiss tour um, yep. of the um, ski resorts that surround the um, Côte de Rhone, the Rhone, they're on the side of the Rhone, the Côte de Rhone, there's wine there, everything. Um, and I want to take you to my third day, I think it was, when I was skiing in the Val de Heron. Um, here is my report. Good morning, listener. Um, I have woken up next to a farm in the Val de Heron in Switzerland. Um, I've been sent here by the podcast to find out about it. Um, at first, when I arrived, it was dark. It's quite uh, an old village. Like if you're looking for rustic charm, this has bags of it. Um, I think the cows have just been milked. I'm in Evelyn, it's the town. And just left of the church, I can see in the distance the ski run. There is a chairlift, and at the top there's two drag lifts and a few red runs, um, which I'm going to go and do this morning. That should be fun. Um, the Val Heron is also important because it has more than one ski area. So there's quite a few little areas. I think it's about four, but I'm going to find out all about that over breakfast with my new friend Damien from the tourist office. What do you think? is the the charm why do people come to this area to ski i know you were talking about the fact that you know there's less skiers here yeah because i think people are uh, fed up mm. with uh, the these two crowded slopes and want to to reconnect with the nature and here in the espace d'Amblanche, uh, you don't f- you cannot find a lot of uh, uh, lift big lift um, can carry 30 20 people at the same time on the top of the slopes so here in the espace d'Amblanche, you slow down mm-hmm. your your rhythm there is no stress uh, the lift uh, especially in arola lasts for 30 years mm-hmm. so you come back in the 80s and yeah you feel this this connection so it's gonna be like skiing in a museum yes a little bit like that <laughs> let's go to um a roller now a mm-hmm. roller. and um the lady who runs this uh Jeep that i'm staying in she says it's a bit like canada oh, it's like canada yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's really um um there's big mountains like uh, mont Collant or uh, pigne d'arola the most famous one and you feel like yeah, really little uh, and re- um, really um, far away from the civilization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And um, you say it's mainly drag lifts that service it, or it's only drag lifts that service the ski slopes. And you've recommended one run that I should do a few times. Um, which one is that? It's the Fontanes 3. Okay, podcasters. Um, I've uh, just arrived at the Aurore, the furthest end of uh, the Val de Um In the car park, there is literally uh, six cars. Uh, one is a lifties car, because the skis are still on the roof. Uh, everyone else seems to have touring skis. Oh, there's another car arriving now. Um, I've just come up like a, a proper rumble of a, 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 a drive, of one of the most amazing mountain tunnels I've, I've ever been through. Um, you know, you sometimes look at a lift pass and a lift piece map and, you know, you go, why would anyone ski there? This place has got three drag lifts. Um, the sun is just coming to slowly creep onto the to the, to the mountain, so it should be nice. Um, it's been described to me as the Canada of, uh, well, let's say the, the Huron Valley. I mean, this is like stepping back in time, what I can see. This is going to be interesting. Uh, I'll let you know in a minute what the, the skiing is like. I mean, this is an adventure. I feel like I'm literally nowhere. This is not Val d'Azur for sure. Um, right, I'm on the top of Marola. It's about 2,800. Um, I mean, this the landscape is dramatic. There's glaciers, craggy peaks, um, big bowls. <coughs> been skiing for about an hour now. I'm um, cruising around on the, the blues uh, and the red runs. And there's about, I reckon, about 30 people out. Uh, one of the draglists isn't open, but I seem to be able to access it. I assume they open it when, you know, there's like 
60 people here and it's busy. I mean, if you're looking for some peace cruising, you could probably spend a day having some fun. Um, there's a lot of things to knock around on and the runs are interesting. Um, but, I mean, if you want to spend a week here, you need to get your touring skis out. It is surrounded by amazing touring. I can see tracks everywhere. And there's plenty of untracked piece to be had. I mean, I'll take a guide. That's obviously the idea. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting place to come to. I would probably say I wouldn't holiday here for long, but, I mean, it's dramatic, it's exciting, and it's definitely off the beaten track. I've got one last um, run to do. Turns out it's uh, a black run. Let's see what that's like. Back to the car, and I'm going to move on to the next place in the Val de Haran, um, which is back where I started in... Evelyn, Evelyn. Um, I've seen it out the window. I go up a chairlift, and what can I expect at the top? So at the top, you you start at two thousand on mm-hmm. the top of the lift. So there there are still snow uh, and good snow conditions. Um, but like I said, but there's no queues. So. There is no queues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is no queues. Lots of people uh, that I know uh, who are used to ski uh, in these big resorts come here. Especially during the high season, mm-hmm. because it's impossible to ski. Uh, there's a differ- different level on the slopes, and if you're if you are a good skier, it's interesting to come here and to have the the wide the wideness of the slopes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, listener, um, I've just finished skiing in uh, Evelyn. And I'm going to say I don't really like Evelyn. Like, uh, it took me nearly half an hour to get to the top of the run. I'd done one run. I nearly had to do two runs, but it, the snow was so awful that I couldn't be bothered. So I walked and then skied down. I don't know if it's because I left my boots in the car all night and they're frozen cold. I don't know if it's because the clouds coming in and the sun's going and the snow's not very good. So I feel a bit miserable. I've done four resorts in three days. I'm tired. I'm tired. I mean... Then there's this blue run that you can get down from the top and it takes me like 20 minutes. It's just as me out there. It took forever. I mean, I can't, right, right now I can't think of much positiveness for Evelyn. I mean, um, uh, oh, there's a yurt. You can have tea in a yurt. Right, I'm going to have tea in a yurt and I might come back to you when I'm feeling a bit more positive and... Um, there must be something good about it, but then I'll work it out. Yeah, Fokla, yeah. Fokla, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said it's closed at the moment due to the, the snow conditions. Because of the snow conditions, because it's really well sun exposed. Um, but from there, I understand mm-hmm. it's um, a great place to access touring routes, isn't it? Uh, yes, and you have a map of all these, these trails which, uh, which stay on, really on the top of the mountain. Um, and... We are doing a, like a, uh, a ski touring park. So there, there is two trails in Arola. There will be one in Evolen, one in La Forcla. Mm-hmm. So at, at the end, it we will have we will get seven trails for ski touring um, in security here in the Val d'Erin. So um, finally, combined, it's a thousand kilom- hundred kilometers of runs potentially to, you mm-hmm. can ski in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, are they all covered on the Magic Pass? Yes, of course. Yeah, we are in. Mm-hmm. Okay, and where's the best place to um, base yourself? If you want to come for like a week so mm-hmm. you can explore the three ski mm-hmm. areas, where is the best place? Is Evelyn the best place to stay? Evelyn is quite a centre of the area. Also Les Odères. <coughs> uh, Les Odères is 10 minutes after uh, Evelyn. And... From then, from there, you can start. You can easily go to Arola, easily go to mm-hmm. La Forcla and Evolen. Mm-hmm. You're like uh, in the center of the of the resort. So that was part of you touring around with your magic pass and enjoying lots of lots of different resorts in Switzerland. But you didn't sound completely happy with uh, with that one, Jim. Are you over no, that now? No. Yeah, I was when I finished skiing in Evelyn. Um, I was really, really cross. Um, I didn't get any tea because the the yurt was shut, and that made me even crosser. But I've calmed down now, Ian. And I want to <laughs> say, I want to say that you know, I think Evelyn is probably a good place to visit if you're going to go there. Uh, it's really old. It's like vintage skiing. There was a wooden chairlift, all that sort of stuff. But if you're going to go there, a wooden chairlift. 
Wow. Well, you know, the wooden slats, very uncomfortable. That was on our Facebook page. People saying it was Bansko, but no, it was Evelyn. Ah, um, so, I saw that photo and I didn't know where it was. I thought it was Bansko as well. Yeah, so it's Evelyn. But I want to say, I think if you're in the area and you're looking for some quiet skiing in peak weeks, head to the Val Toron. It's going to be quiet. If you yeah. want to go, if you want to feel like you're lost in the wilderness, go to the Val de Huron. It's amazing. If you want to do some seriously cool ski touring, go to the Val Huron. It's amazing. Mm. If you're looking for modern ski mm. resorts, don't go there. Um, there's three resorts to choose from. You know, it's all in the report. It was very good. Quick facts: um, uh, Arola, the first resort I visited, 47 uh, kilometers, and the day pass is 37 euros. Evelyn is around about the same sort of um, size and prices. If you're going to go to Evelyn, you will have a good time. If it's a really good powder day, um, go and get a guide, and he'll show you where all the cool stuff is. Don't listen to my miserable last bit. Um, <laughs> I was really cross then. You were um, a bit hangry at the time, were you? I was hangry, you know, cheese, been in a car, all that sort of stuff. Um, okay. One thing, I will bring up this in. Damien, who was in the, who was in the report from the um, Val de Huron um, uh, tourist office, we're going yeah. to stay in touch with him because after I finished talking to him, I did another interview with him, uh, and he is taking part in the Paltru, is it the Pal- mm. Patrouille de Glacier, yeah. which is um, uh, a biannual uh, mountaineering race that's organised by the Swiss Armed Forces, hardcore between um, Verbier and Zema, and it actually stops in Arola, and he's been training quite hard, and he told me all about that. He's been training with his brother and his best mate, and it's quite interesting. Cool, I look forward to hearing that one. You know uh, that race uh, that a couple of people we featured on the Pod, I think before, but certainly Graham Bell has done that race, and Pippa Middleton has done that race as well. Really, I thought she just did um, cross country, but there you go. No, I've yeah, done. No, I'm not a big royal watcher. Do you get you? Do you get that in OK magazine? No, but I've got a feeling we. I've got a feeling I interviewed her in an earlier episode of the Ski Podcast. I met her at um, some launch for the um, Disability Snow Sports UK. I'll. I'll I'll obviously stick a link in the show notes as uh, that's what I always I mean, do. It, it does sound like a grueling race. They say it's 53 kilometres, you know, yeah. with like massive altitude. And yeah. um, they have to be roped together the entire time. Yeah, it's, it's hardcore for sure. Right then, well, that's um, Switzerland. Um, let's go to France now. How how did you get to France, Ian? I believe you recently discovered something called a train. Is that right? Uh, tell me more about this. Inf- tell me about this information um, invention and where did it come from? Yeah, um, I, was it Robert Louis Stevenson? R- regardless, um, yeah, you know, ski flight free. The campaign I set up in the autumn, encouraging people to, you know, travel on their skiing holiday without flying. Um, I you'll recall that I went out in December to Les Arcs and that, that uh, trip was kind of truncated or interrupted a little bit by the strikes that were going on. But I had a perfect journey to Courchevel at how it should be, um, I guess a couple of weeks ago now. Went out by Eurostar, actually I started in Brighton because that's where I live. And they started pretty early, well not that early in the morning, half seven I suppose, up to Eurostar, Eurostar over. I actually did a video uh, about it which I'll uh, share in the show notes. But it, it took me from arriving in London St Pancras to walking to the international terminal, picking up my ticket, going through um, passport control and security, 12 minutes. It just is so super smooth compared with, you know, flying. And then the journey itself, really easy. Getting across Paris on the RER is two stops. Again, really easy. You know, hop onto the um, the TGV, which I took down to Chambéry. Loads of space, really good Wi-Fi. Um, just everything about it was beautiful, really. And then the final section, Chambéry to Moutier, was the, the rolling stop wasn't quite as smart as the uh, rest of it. But it was a Thursday evening. And there are clearly a lot of people going to the Tarantes, where they're get, getting off at Mouti or Bourg Saint-Maurice, for um, a weekend of skiing with their mates. And it was a bit of a party train. Lots of people drinking and singing, bloke had a guitar. It's a really nice uh, atmosphere. And, you know, just door to door. You know, I had two really effective work days while I was travelling. I was able to do as much work as 
you know, I normally do. Plus, I had the travel experience and uh, yeah, everything about it was just super smooth. You know, I really do recommend it. And I've also written a couple of blog posts up about, you know, the cost comparison. Uh, well. The financial cost or the environmental cost? Well, the blogs that I've written on skifightfree.org cover three elements. They cover uh, the financial cost, the carbon cost, and also the time. So comparing the three uh, in each case, how long it would have taken. So, you know, it is quicker uh, if you want to fly. But actually, only a couple of hours uh, quicker by the time you factor everything in. And for me, normally if I'm travelling on my own, if I flew to Geneva, I'd have to hire a car. So actually, cheaper for me to take the train. You know, if you're a family of four and you're hiring a car, then that you know cuts, uh, cuts the cost down a, a little bit. But um, yeah, I'll stick a link in right. there. You know, it's, it was such a pleasurable experience. Oh, I love travelling by train myself. Um, I mean, that is Ian Martin. He is uh, the Michael Portillo of the ski world. Um, um, did you did you know at Geneva Airport when you arrive now and there's a there's a machine within the departure where you pick up your bags, you go and press a button, and it gives you free ninety minute travel um, across Geneva on public transport. I didn't, but I thought it was free anyway to just go from Geneva Airport to Geneva Main Railway Station. Maybe. Uh, no, this covers uh, Geneva um, city-wide travel for 90 minutes as long as you've got your boarding pass and this magic ticket from the machine. So um, that makes okay. a big difference because okay. getting you know to the bus station is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, and tell us, Ian, yeah. um, you didn't do like a very straightforward journey. You ch- uh, changed quite a few times to get to Meteor. Most people can do that um, mm-hmm. on their week holiday. If they go in, they can do um, a leave Friday night. and Or if you're doing a day, it's Saturday, and you can arrive in bourg saint maurice or Meteor or um, uh, the, the one in between. can't remember what that's called. And it goes up to, yeah, um, um, that goes up to the plan. How do you book your tickets? Well, so you're talking there about the direct train with Eurostar that goes either on Friday night or on Saturday during the day. Is that what you're and that's about? what I'm talking about. That's easy. You can book that um, on Eurostar quite straightforward. But yeah. you did like a you well, did a multi trip. How do booked, you get your I, tickets? Yeah, I, I just booked um, with Eurostar uh, and with um, SNCF. There's a website called We We SNCF, which is their uh, kind of consumer site. If you search, you know SNCF and it. Yeah, it's very straightforward. And in fact, I signed up for SNCF uh, emails. Uh, and, you know, they have, like everyone, they have offers. And I'm, I'm going out to Switzerland uh, in, well, next month now, I guess. And cheap as chips. I bought my Paris to uh, Zurich return. It's costing me €49 Euros each way, uh, which... She's just, you know, stellar, basically. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much uh, the same cost as a flight. So, yeah, there's no reason why not to do it. <laughs> um, right, Ian, so when you arrived uh, in Mutier, you looked around the train station. You probably um, uh, spoke <laughs> to the guards um, excessively about, you know, hanging out. And where did you go after that? Where did you, what? Oh, well, I went up to, yeah, I went up to Courchevel. I was in Courchevel for the weekend, um, which, uh, which was, yeah, it was great. It was just before the good snow, but... Peace were in excellent condition at the time. Uh, I had gone out to do a race that was going to be writing up for a magazine. Sadly, the race was cancelled. So, you know, I did a uh, did a bit of ski touring. I was lucky enough to do the first lift experience, which was brilliant. Went up with um, a guy from the lift company, and we went up at eight thirty up to Salia, and I got a couple of runs down Salia with no one else on the piece at all, with perfectly groomed piece. That was that was. Brilliant. Wow, that sounds exciting. Um, and also, the Three Ballets, a great place to ski. Courchevel, did seasons there. We all love it. But there's um, they're doing some work on a run for a race. Is that right? Okay, yeah. No, that was, I mean, that was really interesting. I, I, I met a guy, the 2023 World Alpine Ski Championship is going to be uh, held jointly between Meribel and Courchevel. And I met up with a guy called uh, Bruno, Bruno Toir, who is the director of the Club de Sport. And uh, he actually took us down um, the route that they're going to have for this new downhill room, run. And it's going to start around Col de la Loz uh, and then finish in, uh, in Le Pra. And most of it isn't pieced at the moment. So they're going to create this, uh, this whole new uh, piece, which involves, I don't know how well you know it, but I think you said you did season there, jockeys, the uh, Black Run uh, jockeys. They're actually cutting out a whole corner. So down in one section, 
they're removing all the trees, removing all the rocks, sticking in a whole load of more uh, snow cannons to create this uh, direct run down. And it's going to be steep and spectacular. Um, you know, what he's talking about, you know, jumps where skiers are going to be in the air for kind of uh, 60 metres and they've worked out all the camera angles and this and that, you know, should hit 140 kilometres an hour. It, you know, it's pretty exciting, but a massive project, you know, so much work for the uh, resort. Yeah, um, uh, sounds like a big project. And do you think that they're, they're hoping that it will be featured more frequently um, on if? Uh, uh, fist tours or is it you know they they're realistic that 2023 is their, their one chance no uh, i mean that is a very good point and it's the he was talking about the networking that's required it took them 10 years to get on the world cup circuit and then they have a women's uh, world cup race in uh, december which they've now been running for 10 years and this um downhill race they are hoping will be integrated into the World Cup circuit uh, after that. But if you think about it, there's so many resorts that want to host World Cup races, but there just isn't enough time in the in the calendar. And so, to be able to um, you know to be able to do it is a big challenge. And in fact, you know we saw that recently, didn't we? Because Val d'Isère was meant to be hosting um, the uh, downhill race in December. They couldn't do it, I think, because of the the weather conditions are so bad. It wasn't even though they had poor snow. And that moved to Bansko, where you've just been. Yeah, that's right. I did try to get um, further to the bottom of why it moved. And actually, the the response was, we are good. Uh, So they asked us to do it. That was it. Right, Okay. But it happened just before you were there, because you just missed uh, meeting up with Michaela Schifrin. Um, yeah, I did just uh, miss uh, hanging out with Michaela Schifron. That's right. But I did have a go on the slope, though. It's insane. Okay. Um, it, it had been closed for um, probably a day or two, and they'd had a small dusting of snow. And, you know, you see an almost complete World Cup run that's just been skied on. What would you do, Ian? Uh, you, was it empty of people? Uh, there was not many people on it. Would you just ignore that opportunity or would you have a go? Of course I'd have a go, yeah. How difficult yeah. is it? Like, the the we just talked in the beginning of the show about the, the rain and then the, the snow on top. So that's effectively what I was skiing on, but this was specifically done. That piece yeah. that they create for racers, like, I thought it was going to be hard, but that was ice rink hard. I couldn't make dents in it yeah. with my poles. Plus the fact there was loads of chopped up slough that other people had gone down it. And, you know, I posted that, um, what, Michaela did it in something like 1 minute 29. It took me like 11 yeah. minutes or something. Yeah, I mean, you've got to um, have uh, balls of steel to do that kind of uh, uh, stuff for sure. Like, you know, the speeds. When I skied down Celia, I, was, I had my Garmin on it was recording. And it, it clocked me at 91 kilometres uh, an hour skiing down. Because, you know, and I wasn't, you know... I'm, wasn't uh, we had we did have this discussion in a previous podcast about you know you're, you're not you're not bragging about how it, much attention no i'm not bragging about it i observed it i observed it uh, but 91, i observed that i had my strava yeah, on. 91 kilometers uh, uh, an hour um yeah it felt pretty uh, fast and i felt comfortable doing it because i knew there was no one in front of me but these people ski at 140 kilometers an hour it's insane yeah i mean 140 kilometers an hour is uh, an, an intense speed. Uh, I've no, I still haven't put uh, my Strava on, so I don't know. Uh, maybe one day I'll do. <laughs> maybe one day I'll observe how fast I go. Yeah, but overall, then Bansko, good trip. Are you going to tell us a bit about it? Tell you what, Ian, I've spent some time writing a really nice report about it, and this is me telling you about it now. I arrived in Bansko late at night after an easy two-hour transfer from the Bulgarian capital of Sofia. It instantly struck me how it felt like a modern town, but with a feel of a place that had grown in the time of a Wild West gold rush. And to an extent, I was right. But the gold rush didn't start because of gold, it was because of snow. I call ski resorts Bansko exists to enable skiers to ski, but the way it serves them and what it offers is different to the classic alpine resorts of Europe. Whatever your vice is, it's catered for and it's affordable. 
You want snow? It's here. You want casual skiing with an abundance of quality on-piece pit stops and cool bars? It's yours for the taking. Try the 180 bar. The whole resort offers an abundance of fun on and off the slopes. But it lacks the pretentiousness of some of the mainstream resorts. Wanting a Chinese meal for dinner or a full English breakfast isn't a secret here. It's out and proud. And due to the price points, it doesn't have to be a once a holiday treat. It feels like there are more venues in this little town than there are bars and restaurants that you could reasonably visit in a whole season. But each one, every single one is buzzing with customers all day and all night. And they all have an individual character. The closest I can get to describing Vansko is probably Nuki in the mountains. The ski industry has been wondering where all the young skiers are. The millennials that want to get into skiing and snowboarding. Well, they're here in Bansko, learning to ski and snowboard, falling over, having fun and not feeling judged and not paying the price of a small family saloon to do it. It is interesting looking at the level of skier and snowboarder on the mountain. The standard isn't high. It's full of beginners and intermediate riders. And if you enjoy watching a good yard sale from a chairlift, you definitely won't be disappointed. But there's a reason for this. Bansko is designed for level entry ski holidaying. They're down in town at the four-star hotel um, Strazi, which is an Aspen-style lodge. It feels like um, an Aspen-style hotel. And, you know, the same as the Kalimski. It's a fraction of the cost. Both of these hotels play host to FIS athletes and officials when the World Cup rolls into town. Um, from my hotel, it was a five-minute walk to the gondola that took you up to the ski area. But when I arrived at the station, I was faced with an hour queue to get on. There are ways to avoid such as a shuttle bus up to the up to the main ski area, um, taxis or getting up super early or heading out later, in fact, and trying to get um, uh, there after the queues died down. But you can get a queue jumper VIP pass um, either by booking online or through a tour officer, but they are not guaranteed. Um, up on the mountain, there is so much infrastructure for beginners and improvers. In fact, the second biggest queue I found was for the beginner drag lift. Um, there are loads of fun blues throughout the 70 kilometer area, and there are plenty of tree-lined runs. You will find some red runs that are perfect uh, for that step up in level. Uh, and there's a mighty black run that sweeps into the main station, which is great fun. It's where the World Cup runs are held, and you can feel like a true winner when you've completed that. All the runs are carved into the mountain for skiing and snowboarding and they're wide and friendly and bottlenecks are, are, are quite rare. If you do find the crowds um, up on the slopes a little bit too much, you can get off the gondola at the mid-station where you'll find a couple of runs that are rarely visited, so there's a top tip there. Um, if you have preconceptions of this resort as backwards and old, get rid of them. Every lift is new and efficient. The bars and restaurants are cool and modern and really affordable. It's positive. It's possible to have a meal and a beer for £12 on the mountain. And it's as good as any in the Alps. Getting back to the resort is easy. There's a seven kilometre road they call the Ski Road. Um, it's a wide blue run, um, which in itself is a feat of snowmaking and engineering. Um, it's also floodlit, so you can enjoy a bit of prey on the mountain before you come down. Sure, there are a few things in the resort that's a bit annoying, like the queue in the morning. Um, but the team behind the resort acknowledge that and have plans for a second gondola in the pipeline. The snow is limited as a rule. It comes in December and late February, so the majority of the snow is artificial with cannons on nearly every single piece. But it doesn't stop people coming. And to me, I think the snow was in a reasonable good condition. The other thing is it's that little cold there because there are no mountains protecting it. There's a, a quite a, a sharp cold wind. So you need to wrap up a little bit warmer than possibly you do normally. Uh, I travelled with Balkan Holidays and they have a strong presence in the resort uh, and a traditional tour operator. They've got great staff um, in the resort to help you and organise trips. Um, may I suggest uh, a trip to the National Hot Springs or Banya, where you can soak away your aches and pains um, and oddly meet um, a load of people from Devon. Um, prices with Balkan holidays for seven nights half board, staying in the same hotel as me, start at £437 per person at the end of February with a selection of regional flights. For £202 on top of that, you can get your hire, your lift pass and your tuition included. And, you know, you could have a really good time on a budget of £25 a day for food and drinks. 
If you've got any questions about this trip or want to know more, drop me a line and I'll answer them in the next podcast. But let's talk about something that everyone can watch. It's Ski Sunday. What do you want to talk about Ski Sunday, Ian? Yeah, well, you say everyone can watch. Can you watch it where you are? I can, I can watch it, yeah. Yeah, you've got like a, a sort of IP thing. Yep, I've got a legal system how I can watch foreign television in France. That's yeah, why. well, I know you said that, you know, we, we discussed last time, is it worth watching? You know, I, I keep watching it. And um, every episode starts the same. They have this really portentous build-up, you know, where they over-elaborate uh, about the race that's coming up with lots of um, excessive metaphors. And I wonder why they bother to keep doing that. But then I watch it. And, you know, occasionally you do have really good things. I watch the Han and Karma episode. And, yeah, the best... The crashes are amazing. And they introduced all the crashes. And Graham Bell talked about, you know, when he skied it. Because he skied it a bunch of times, and I think he come eighth one time or twelfth or something, whatever it is. You know, he, he did a he did really well. But they showed this one accident from a guy called Todd Brooker, um, and I think have you seen that video? Yeah, you sent me a clip of it. I did wondering because, as you know, I didn't watch Ski Sunday, so um, yeah. I, did, I just watched the clip, and yeah, it was an impressive stack. Why why do we talk about it? Well, just because, you know, that's the sort of thing I wouldn't see if it wasn't for Ski Sunday, uh, I suppose. Um, those sort of uh, oh, right, those sort of features. And, you know, this guy, like, um, um, yeah, it looks absolutely awful, but it's compulsive watching, seeing him crash like that. Yeah, I mean, it was an insane crash. Really looks very painful. But, you know, I st- I'm still going to say it, and I, I mean, I don't watch it, so I don't know if it's worth watching. I can't mm. really... Com- for me, obviously, the answer is I don't think it's worth watching. <laughs> um, um, I just kind of feel... Um, it's about it's re- it's about reporting skiing, and it's not about feeling skiing. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of like to watch stuff that's a bit more about feeling skiing. So for me, if I'm going to watch... If I want to watch stuff about skiing, I tend to go to Red Bull TV because I think they've got some seriously good stuff on there. They've got great okay. documentaries, really um, impressive stuff. Um, and, you know, they make some seriously good programs and not just necessarily about skiing. There's loads of snowboarding content yeah. and I- extreme sports, ice climbing, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a really, there's an interesting documentary also on Amazon Prime um, about the Hackenheim. Um, it's called Strife and it's about how they create the race and how they put it on. It's... Um, it's a good feature length documentary. So Ooh, yeah, okay. you know I think for me, you know, um it's I love that I like the BBC and I like what they do. I don't necessarily think the BBC is skiing for me, you know, watch okay. Eurosport. Okay, cool. Well I will definitely watch that Amazon Prime uh thing and it, it, it should point out that um although you say how good Red Bull uh, TV is, we are not um linked to them in any way. But we're quite happy to be if they want to sponsor us. Um, my son, me and Hadley watch it quite a lot. He likes watching snowboarding. They also like there's a lot of slack line on it as well, um, and climbing. Um, Hadley thinks it's called Hotball TV. Connie knows it's called Red Bull TV, and she knows it's a drink sponsorship. But the rule is in the house we can watch their program and enjoy their content, but we can't drink their drinks. They know it, and I make them say it before we turn it on. <laughs> okay, I'm sure that's not working. Uh, there is one thing about Ski Sunday which I think is quite good is they gave those World Youth Games that were held in Lausanne, which we covered a bit, um, some good coverage there. And also, you know, I know you miss your uh, Team GB coverage. Uh, they do have reasonable updates uh, uh, there. Um, Dave Riding, you know, he sadly continues to uh, disappoint you by um, merely finishing seventh in his most recent uh, race. One day he'll get to the top three. Um, but Katie Ormerod, so, have you seen how well she's doing? Um, I haven't recently, no, I'm afraid. Well, she uh, has three, has had three successive podium finishes uh, in snowboarding and she is now leading the overall World Cup standings with two races remaining. I should say two events. Wow, that is impressive. Really. I mean, she's a good snowboarder, isn't she? She's amazing. Well, and she's had really bad injuries, so it's fantastic to, uh, to see. She's had ten... World Cup podiums uh, already, and she is only 22 years old. Uh, so, you know, she is 
that she's doing brilliantly and she's a you know you therefore got to be you know right in contention uh, for an olympic medal um assuming that um she can she can stay fit etc so you know great work uh, by her and well done to her but what about laurie taylor good old laurie taylor he's still been following dave riding around the world and when dave got his seventh i think um he got his best finish as well, didn't he? Ha! Huh. So 20, you, you, do, you do really follow what's going on, don't you? You know, you know what's happening. I don't. I just read stuff to um, impress you, Ian, and the listeners. <laughs> it's like it's like if I know I'm going to the pub with some football interested persons, um, I will, you know, um, research a little bit on how Tottenham Spurs are scoring in the Premiership, so I can have a bit of chat and, you know. Um, make sure I know which team that um, Arsene Wenger's in charge of and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I like to pretend I've got um, a minute bit of knowledge, but then when I get pushed, I fold and go to the toilet. <laughs> but there's not an option right now to do that. So, Okay. So, therefore, uh, have you done a bit of research about Erna Lowe? Prior to um, our chat now. <laughs> I know that Erna Lowe is a lady who started a um, uh, company called Erna Lowe, which I think is quite vain, um, naming it after herself. Um, <laughs> but basically what she did, she went, oh, I quite like skiing, I think. Uh, I'll take some people with us. She immensely invented the chalet holiday and then downgraded herself to self-catering along the line. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that's the story. Um, I'd like to know more, but I don't know how. Well, strange you should say that. There is a book out there called Aiming High, written by uh, a UK ski journalist, journalist called Mark Frary. And we are going to do it for our next ski book group after a bit of a hiatus since our last book. I can't remember when it was. Um, we have managed to agree <laughs> on one that we can, uh, we can read together. So if anyone else, if you listener. Uh, want to um, you know, join in ski book group we're going to be reading Aim- Aiming High uh, by Mark Frary the life of Miss Erna Lowe she was actually a person in case you just thought it was a company I don't feel our ski book group has really hit the highs of um, Richard and Judy's yet but um, we are trying what do we have to do to hit the highs of Richard and Judy yeah, do you know who Richard and Judy are Ian um, sorry is that a cultural reference that's uh, a bit past your head no no um, maybe you mean like if we choose something for ski book group, suddenly it shoots up the charts. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Whereas it just tends to no less people buy it because they know we have a terrible choice in books. Uh, well, that's clearly not the case. Although we have read a couple of shockers, but generally I've enjoyed them. I might write my own and then make you read it. <laughs> I and then I give would, it, then give it away it. free. I would read it, Jim. I would love to uh, read what you have to say about your, uh, you know, your 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 memoir of your life in in skiing and on funiculars. Yeah, my life as a a, a really bad funicular fanatic. Yeah, that, travelled that. on less less than three percent of the world's funiculars. I mean, that, that's poor showing, isn't it? Well, there's always did, there's always time. I did bag a new one when I was in Switzerland, though. That was quite exciting. Mm. I've still still never been on one of the smallest ones in the world, which is in um, uh, Maribel Motteray. I think it's a private one, that's why. That's probably why I've never been uh, Is that in... It, it's uh, between apartments in Maribel Motteray, isn't it? I know the one. That's yeah. it, yeah. Oh, I have. I've been on that one because I was a rep in Motteray for three years. So uh, that involved going on that funicular at some point. So I'm way, way ahead of you. I've probably done at least 3.5% of the world's funiculars. Mm. <laughs> I don't believe you. Uh, do we have any reviews at all, Jim? Um, according to the, the notes I've got in front of me, that we've got one um, <laughs> from a lady called Stella Cotton, um, and it's a really easy review. It says it's a really good listen. Well, you that's nice of you, you, Stella. Thank you. That's it. Um, interestingly, though, I have, I did have. Um, on uh, the Average Skier Instagram account, I did get a little bit of feedback from a lady called Jo, um, who, um, oh, should I, uh, 
trying to think about the lines I should be drawing of what I should be saying. Let's say her name is Jo, and she may or may not have worked for a large tour operator um, in some capacity that's quite important. But she was like, took me slightly to task about my comments in there about Chambry, um, saying that she didn't think I was right that uh, tour operators um, don't have people that make decisions available on Saturday. Right. Okay. Well, I did point that out at the time. They normally have someone on uh, on duty somewhere. So she told me off. I did invite her on the show to talk about her experience. She she said no. So I've read this out, but I'm pretty sure she won't get this far into the radio because she actually asked me to give her the exact time that it appeared in the show, so she didn't have to listen to the rest of it. So um, does that mean that someone told her about what we'd said and she didn't listen to it? Could be. Could be that. Yeah. That's that's like Don't people, you know, criticising, um, you know, movies and saying they're too violent when they haven't even watched them. Yeah, or reading books and saying they're sexist when they haven't even read them. <laughs> oh, Jim's referring. You'll have to listen to a back catalogue to work out what uh, Jim's referring to there, Lister. <laughs> just giving you a chance. You haven't said show notes yet, Ian, so I was just giving you a chance. Right, I'll give um, you the show notes, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Um, I've also been told um, by our producer um, to remind listeners that um, we can send you some stickers. If you want stickers, yeah, um, say, say the ski podcast on there, um, to stick around the Alps and take photos of it um, in various different ski resorts, then um, do write to us and we'll send you some stickers. And then whoever send, whoever's got the best sticker stick... Um, in the mountains, can have my copy of the Erna Lowe story when I finish reading it. Right, that's very, I'll, that's I'll, very I'll, general. You know, I'll, I'll even throw in um, the book that we read about the history of the. What was it? it was, was it the so Alps? Horrible. Is that the one you're talking about? No, not the history of the Alps. They can have that one as well. That was oh, rubbish. the uh, racing one by Cleves Palmer. That's when you can have Cleves Parra's life story. You can have all these books. All you've got to do is ask for a sticker and stick it somewhere, and then you could win a book. Yeah, or if you what? don't want the books, just stick it somewhere and send us the photo uh, anyway. But, you know, that's really good because it helps other people find us, as does uh, reviews. You know, give us a review on uh, iTunes if you can. And if you can't do it there, you know, tweet us, The Ski Podcast, Facebook, The Ski Podcast. You know, we, feedback is really good. Um, you know, we really like it. Uh, before we sign off, Jim, I wanted to ask you something. I literally only read about it this morning, talking about the possibility of a strike in ski resorts on Saturday the 15th of February. Do you know anything about that at all? Um, I, I don't. I know that um, uh, Andrew Neil and um, some French politician have been having an argument about there are no more strikes in France. But um, I, I was aware that there might be one in resorts, um, but I, I couldn't confirm or deny it. My, um, okay, well, my, I read, links, I my links this. to the unions in France are limited. <laughs> I read this this morning in uh, some French uh, website. My French isn't perfect, but it's kind of good enough. And what it says is that, you know, CGT are the same people who organise these strikes uh, on the railways are going to do some strikes on Saturday the 15th of February. And they're going to be in five stations, uh, five ski resorts in the Alps, La Plan des Arts, Les Manuires, Courcheval and Megève, and also some in the Pyrenees. Uh, and what it says is that, um, you know, it's to do with like um, people who do season work, who are unemployed during the summer, having their summer unemployment cut. Uh, that's what they're protesting against. And what they want to do is not kind of disrupt uh, things or, or penalise uh, holiday makers, but they want to make them more aware about it. So maybe they'll delay the opening of the lifts that day or something like that. I think for most British people, you know, they're not actually going to be skiing on Saturday the fifteenth of uh, February. They'll be arriving. So, but you know, unless it's a Sunday to Sunday transfer, then it's their last day, Ruben. Yeah, I would be very interested to hear from any uh, from you, listener, if you happen to be affected by it at all. What I'll do, Ian, is um, I'll drop my children off at Ski Club on that Saturday. Yeah. I will ski up to the top of the barm. Uh, oh, catch the lift. I'm not going to ski up there, am I? Uh, I'll catch the lift and I'll peer down off the side and I can see Majev and I'll see if the lifts are running and I'll let you know. Mm. Right. Okay. But it is an interesting... It, it is a really interesting thing. I come from a coastal seaside town um, in the UK and, you know, during the winter, in the summer, there's, uh, you know, there's lots of employment. Great. I mean, it's not high-paid, it's low-skilled, 
but you know it supports the local economy then in the winter there's no there's no work for people and they get laid off they have to claim benefits whereas in france yeah absolutely these lifties here don't have to work in the summer they've got their job and they are supported through the summer till their job comes back online and i think that's i think it's a good thing i know it's a strain on the economy i can understand why um it's a contentious issue but if they want skilled people to stay in these jobs it's not like maintenance the maintenance on your chairlift you know you hmm. want someone who knows what they're doing right you don't want to be finding new staff every oh. year and that you've got a michael who's doing his gap year he's in charge of bolting your lift to the to the the wire that you depend in your life on or would you prefer that the money is spent throughout the summer to keep them um, interested in their job and make them sure they come back you know that's, that's jim uh, you know you said you had connections to the unions it sounds like uh, you got a uh a future there. very convincing argument give them give them the benefits uh, they need that's it that's indeed um okay well should we wrap up ian any more questions for me about uh, no um, i think uh, between the now political and our system next, in france now and our next episode uh, i'm certainly not uh, going away on any trips uh, oh no maybe Maybe I will be. Maybe I'll be in the uh, Pyrenees when we speak. I'll have to uh, have a little think about how that's going to work. Um, are you going away to Pyrenees? Switzerland or Bulgaria or anything like that? Say again, sorry? Are you going to Switzerland or Bulgaria or anywhere? Um, I won't be uh, actually leaving to go skiing anywhere different. I, thought, I did look. I might go to there's a little ski resort um, at the far end of Lake Annecy with nice reviews of the, uh, views of the lake, which is... But, you know, it's a small place and it's okay. quite cheap, so I might go there. I might go for a day trip there. I might go to San Juan for a day trip. I've never been. Yeah. Um, so when I say I'm not going anywhere, I might do. Um, <laughs> I might go to Chamonix, do some touring. Yeah. Who knows? Um, we shall see. Uh, um, today I might go and try and do a couple of runs because I've been doing some other sort of runs this week, but we won't talk about that. But we don't need um, to go into that. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that at all. Um, and next time we're going to have a special guest, Ian. Oh, good. Who is that? We're going to have a third presenter or co-host, whatever you want to call us, yeah. people who turn up to talk on the internet. Um, it's Dave Burrows. He's going to be joining us for the whole show. Um, he's going to be sharing his experience that he had with me um, in Anzur, and we'll be reviewing that. And we'll also be talking about a potential opportunity for you, listener at home, to come skiing with the Ski Podcast. That sounds very exciting. I will... Uh... Well, I'll obviously tune in for that because I'll uh, be there. But you, listener, you can find out about how you could uh, join the Ski Podcast in 2021, I think. 2021, yeah. Oh, this is too organised for me. <laughs> cool. Been good speaking to you, Jim. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, listener. And um, goodbye. Bye. Bye.